Hello, hello. Welcome back yet again to another edition of the Bibbs Corner Podcast. I am your host, Mike Bibbins, on Twitter at Bibbs Corner for the main stuff, the sports stuff, and at Bibbs Film for the movie stuff. And, and this, this today, this is actually going to cross both of those cross that intersection if you will the intersection of bibs corner film and sports uh today we're talking about a documentary uh documentary <clears throat> covering the life of raymond lewis titled raymond lewis la legend uh will be releasing on video on demand november 1st i got the opportunity to review a screener and uh definitely enjoyed this documentary uh and I brought somebody with me for this one because it felt appropriate. Uh, you're, you're very familiar with the name, Shad Miller from the Uncool Urban. Shad, how you feeling? Feeling good. I appreciate the opportunity to enjoy this screener with you. I was moved. It was a lot of familiar names in it, which we're going to get into later. Yeah, a lot of, I think the, you know, just straight off the bat, one of the first things that really stood out for me is the amount of familiar names that came up during the documentary whether it was people that actually did interviews uh former nba players legendary coaches or just names of people that he ended up playing against um in in college in high school uh in preseason whatever for the nba um it's a name that i personally had never really i don't think i've ever heard the name i asked my dad if he was familiar with the name he wasn't my dad's you know old school he knows all those guys and whatnot um is this a name you had been familiar with at all or first time hearing about him in terms of cali ball i've heard like murmurs okay of a raymond lewis but for me no really like full on engaged nah okay so yeah so let's i'm gonna give the uh kind of the the description that i was given for the movie uh it's a powerful powerful racially charged story of a one in a generation basketball phenom from south central la who was drafted as a first round pick by the philadelphia 76ers at age 19 in 1973 but who many believe was blackballed from the nba and who never played in a professional game you know this this introduction is what kind of sucked me in uh, you know, I do the GOAT series on my my podcast, and in doing the GOAT series, I came across some different legends of the game, stories I hadn't really heard of, and you start to think about segregation and the way things were in the 60s and 70s, and there are a lot of stories of, of players who got a raw deal in one way or another. Uh, some examples that came to mind were Spencer Haywood, who was a player in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he had the spent the Haywood rule is still in in the CBA. He is the reason that players started being able to come to the pros out of high school. For example, uh, previously there was a rule stating that you had to be four years removed before you could go to the NBA. Uh, he didn't want to stay in college. <laughs> uh, he wanted to to come out early. He was illegally signed by the Sonics. Um, he sued, basically. Uh, he played during that season while the lawsuit was going on. He was spat on, taunted, uh, booed heavily at every single game he went to. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And eventually the NBA settled and created the hardship rule, basically stating that if a player 
going pro early would economically benefit his family in a tremendous way, then he could come out early. That was Spencer Haywood's story. Uh, average player salary jumped between from 35,000 to 180,000 by the end of the 70s. All of this, his his willingness to fight to, to get to the NBA is the reason that that occurred. He actually started out in the ABA because one of the ABA's rules was that they would allow people to come out early. That was how they were able to get a lot of the young talent coming out instead of them going to the NBA because they couldn't go to the NBA. So, so a lot of those guys came out of college early or didn't go to college, went straight to the ABA, and that's why the ABA had talent. Um, another story that I wanted to bring up before we get into to, to Raymond was Connie Hawkins. It was a little bit more of a tragic story. Uh, Connie Hawkins' story is that he got tied to a point-shaving scandal by association. He was not involved in the point shaving, but he knew people who were involved in the point shaving. He got kicked out of college, um, <clears throat> never was indicted, never was arrested at all. But no college would allow him into their university. Uh, the NBA and the commissioner at the time, J. Walter Ken Kennedy, said that if any NBA team signed him, he would not approve of the contract. And there was a policy at the time in the NBA that they would not allow any player that was potentially tied to point shaving into the league. Can't imagine that his race was not a factor in any of that uh, at all. Um, <clears throat> he ended up being banned from the league officially at one point in 1966 after he went undrafted in 64 and 65 again. One of the greatest talents out there, undrafted because the league said, I don't care if you draft him or sign him. I'm not going to approve of the contract, so why would you waste a draft pick on him, basically? Uh, he ended up in the ABL, a league that you've never heard of. Eventually ended up in the ABA. Uh, Life Magazine covered his story, et cetera, and so forth. He did eventually get to the NBA, but it took him a while to get there. Um, before we get into this, there is a book about his life uh, in excuse me, a book about his life called Foul by David Wolf. Definitely a good read. Again, one of those tragic stories of a guy who his NBA career, if you look at the stats, you look at the numbers, you look at the accolades, not quite what they could have been had he uh, been able to get to the league at the time he was supposed to get to. Legal battles had to occur. The 60s and the 70s were a very interesting time for black players. And that's where Raymond Lewis story comes in. So uh, sorry for all that background. <laughs> I'm going to give I'm going to throw it back to you in just a second. I'm trying to find uh, there was a, a thing I wanted to bring up before we jumped into it. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, this show show. So I'm good. <laughs> uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Basketball movie ranking. Da, 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 da. There it is. All right. <clears throat> so the first thing I'll ask now before since we're about to get into this Raymond Lewis story. Did any of it, what was the, the, the main thing that stood out for you in, in watching this? Um, as a guy who always talks about how young athletes are treated in like, whether it's high school or early college, his story angered me because back in the day before they started cutting down on that stuff. Now they were just, passing these guys along or they will put them in bird courses you know? right so to hear that none of those young men got a proper education 
they didn't even have to show up. They weren't even on campus. Right. I think they said Raymond specifically didn't even pretend to like go into any classes. No, he pretty much told they didn't have Camaro. Yeah, (laughs) they pretty much told (laughs) he was driving around a red Camaro uh, and basically just did whatever he wanted. And this is when people knew people were getting paid under the table. There's a lot of guys who got their trophies or accolades taken away for doing such things in recent times. So I always feel, especially for young brothers, that that's a disservice that I that really angers me because if you look at his story, what makes it more sad was there was nothing else he knew how to do. And they didn't even put that in him to do anything else. So that was pretty angering to a person that is now glad that there's a such thing as NIL deals and all these other things where you do have the option to go to school or just do your one and done or whatever like that. Yeah, so let's let's get into that a little deeper. So <clears throat> coming out of college, uh, I think it was Jerry Tarkanian was at Long Beach State at the time. Uh, Jerry Tarkanian, again, legendary coach in, in, in college. He was going to go play for him at Long Beach State. Suddenly he popped up in a red Corvette and he chose to go to Cal State, Los Angeles, all of a sudden. Um they had a, a interview in the documentary where he said that he went there because his uh, high school coach was supposed to be getting hired by Cal State LA, that, which again is another thing we see now in modern times. You see like the kid's dad or whatever gets hired by a college and that's the college they end up going to. Um, the back coach didn't end up there, but but he did have that red Corvette, right? And Early in the documentary, we, 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 we know that he and a few of his teammates were all getting that deal where they were getting paid. Basically, they were told they didn't have to go to any classes that the teachers knew the deal and they would pass them, basically. Uh, later in the documentary, and I don't mind talking about this, and this is something I, again, I never knew about. Uh, four of his teammates sued the school. And because, like you said, basket, basketball was all they were given. And did you want to jump in? Yeah, I'm just going to jump in. Um, He was so enamored with the dream of playing that he pretty much sympathized with the person that took away the actual point of playing right. in college. He said that the coach was cool while he exactly. knew that. Exactly. That's- and that, that, that was probably one of the most hurtful things to hear. About that was a poignant him not moment. wanting to be a part of that lawsuit. That was definitely a poignant moment for, for me as well. So, like, the teammates were – they were suing the school because, as you said, they, they were brought to the school to play basketball, told they didn't need to worry about the education part. That's the disservice. They're supposed to be student athletes. They're supposed to be there to get an education because, as we know, especially back then, there's not a lot of pro spots, like – you're, if you're in college, you can get a free education. Take advantage of that education so you have some skills, some knowledge that you can use to go get a job in the real world afterward. They were not given that opportunity. They were taking stupid classes that, you know, what, what they call it, rocks for jocks, all that type of stuff, and not really given an opportunity. Once they were done with school, they had to figure it out pretty much. Um, in Raymond's case, um, you know, the NBA didn't work out and he had lived, like you said, he had nothing to fall back on. But then when his teammates bring the lawsuit out, 
he he didn't feel that the coach did him dirty. Um, I think we we both agree the coach definitely did him dirty. And it, it, what you see in this documentary is a lot of people using him, steering him in the wrong direction, not really actually caring about his well-being. And he noticed that, um, I believe he wrote it, in, one article did write it, that he basically was like, yeah, people were like, like if I can use this um, right. term, screwing him over. Yeah. Everybody was claiming they were his manager. Everybody was claiming that they were there for his best interest. And at the end of the day, it wasn't true. No, everybody was trying to get a piece, pretty much. Uh, they were coming at him with gifts. They were coming at him with this, with that. But as soon as he no longer benefited them, they were gone. Um, again, a common story. We see this type of type of stuff all the time. Uh, let me let me pull up. <clears throat> I wanted to go kind of step by step. So Jerry Tarkanian, I mentioned him before. Uh, he actually was interviewed and passed away after his interview for this documentary. But during his interview, he mentioned by the end that he's still to this day, he's never seen anybody better than him. Like up to the date of his passing, he'd never seen anybody better than than Raymond Lewis. Just to give you an idea of the the talent level we're talking about here. Um, Sonny Vaccaro, big name, name that name that we know. He 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 put George George Gervin on. He introduced MJ to Nike. That's that's Sonny Vaccaro is a big name. Uh, he apparently went to Sonny Vaccaro to see about getting into the ABA at one point. I kind of wish that had happened, honestly. Uh, I think they said the Pittsburgh Pipers were going to sign him. They offered him $75,000. And he said no because he wanted to go to the NBA. It was NBA or nothing. Uh, that was when he ended up at college. Now, the coach that we mentioned did end up being heavily investigated. Uh, 60 Minutes did a story on the scandal that was going on at the university. It, it was bad. Um, <laughs> I want to give some of the other comparisons that Raymond got during his time. Uh, one of the newspaper comparisons I saw, they were comparing him to Oscar Robertson. They were saying he was another Oscar Robertson type. The big O. Um, what was another one that he got? Another one that he got. Um, I think there, oh, when he, well, we'll get to it. There's, we'll get specifically to when he ended up to the NBA. So he went to college and I want to talk about what he did in college. Uh, Brian Gumble showed up in this. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> oh yeah. This is early Brian Gumble. Yeah. The young Brian Gumble sports and all this stuff. Like that. Yeah. He interviewed him. And if you don't know, back in the day, when you went to college, freshmen weren't allowed to play with the big team. They had like freshman teams that were separate from the big team. So his freshman year, he's on the freshman team. He played a UCLA team that was stacked. I think they said they had four players that ended up being in the NBA later. He's at Cal State Los Angeles with a bunch of players that you've never heard of in your life. Um, he bodied them by himself. Last game of the season, his freshman year, he scored 73. He was 30 for 40 from the field. No three-point line, mind you. 30 for 40 from the field. Yeah, his numbers were very impressive. Um, like, the numbers were crazy. Like, okay, there were 73, 58, 
Um, he averaged even, 39 a game his freshman year. <laughs> I think, like, the lowest number that was ever said in the whole series, I mean, the whole documentary was 43. Yeah, but he was he – Outside was, of that one game that they lost um, in preseason. He was doing whatever he wanted. I think college – let's take a step back real quick. High school – <clears throat> he went to this this made up school that they put through together, a Catholic school in the hood after the Watts riots. And they put him in the two A division as sophomores, state championship. Three A division is juniors, state championship. Four A division is seniors, state championship. Like as he it was perfect for him. Like they every year he went up a level. Every time he went up a level, his game went up a level and he was bodying everybody. His sophomore year, when he was able to play with the big squad, he led the NCAA in scoring. This is Verbum Day we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. that was uh, yeah, 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 that was his uh, his his high school. So now in college, his sophomore year, again, second second year in college, they had a game against Long Beach State. Said that name before. That was Jerry Tarkanian. They were number three in the country. Number three in the country, loaded team. He gave him 53 in double overtime and got the game-winning bucket. Like, you can't script this stuff. Like, this is... You know what... Well, you know the humor in that story was. Because... Verbally... Yeah, he committed to him. Exactly. And changed his mind because he was like... uh, What did did he have? Like a GTX or something? They gave him the GT and then they, they, like, helped him. They were souping it up. They were adding all kinds of features. And he was like, that wasn't good enough. And so then the Corvette showed Yeah, then, then the red vet showed up. That was that. Uh, his sophomore year, he averaged 32.9 points per game. He was, he was the truth. There's no doubt about it. This isn't one of those stories where somebody's trying to inflate the story of, of, of a guy. This is, he was legit. And I loved all the video. You can see. He still had a little bit of old school in his game, but some of the stuff, the ball handling and stuff looked very modern. Do you agree? Yeah, totally. He was doing stuff that they, people weren't doing back then a, a lot. Like um, his crossover moves they show in the very rare tapes were stuff that looks like it could be done today. Like it looks like what the people are doing today. He, he, he could play today pretty much. Like pull up mid-ranges. They said he was shooting from 30 feet. Again, no three-point line, no incentive to be out there, but he was doing it. Um, he was a bucket, man. I, I don't know how else to describe to describe it. He could, he could, he could fill it up. Um, so then he enters the draft after his sophomore year, and this is where the story starts to go downhill. It was already halfway downhill, but we've seen players get exploited in college before. Uh, that's nothing new. But Now we can start name-dropping. Yeah, now we now we get to the NBA stuff. So he went to the NBA draft. Uh, he went to a small school in Los Angeles, so not everybody knew him. It wasn't like today where you had the internet and all that good stuff. Um, he wasn't a big name necessarily, but his game was his game. Enough people knew him. He ended up being the 18th pick in the draft, 1973 to the 76ers who also had the number one pick in the draft. I believe they had the worst season in NBA history the prior year. They won nine games, so <laughs> they needed some help. Doug Collins, the number one pick that year, got his deal, 250 k a year for four years. Big deal. 100 mil, uh, he was a millionaire 
off the bat, a million dollar deal as a as a rookie in 1973. That's a huge deal. So then it comes time for our boy Ray. Uh, this is the part that hurt me. Yeah. He went in there and represented himself. So, like, and multiple this is where I get mad at him not having an education. Yeah, because he would have known better. Um, bare minimum, see, like, so when I was in college, I took a course on contracts. I wanted to know how to read contracts, what to look for, all that good stuff. Not because I was going pro, but because it's good to know you're going to sign a lot of contracts in your life, leases, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, I helped my mom get out of a lease issue because I knew how to read contracts. My man, was he was given a raw deal. First of all, he had multiple people pretend to be his agent or step up to be his agent. And then he realized they weren't for him. So like you said, he represented himself. What they did in this contract is insane. I'm going to give you the details. So he signed stuff. It was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So he signed a three year, $450,000 deal. That's not bad. If you just look at it like that, like if Sham sent out the tweet in 1973 that he signed a three year, $450,000 deal as a 18th pick, you'd be like, that's a solid deal. $150,000 a year. That's good. Doug Collins, the number one pick had $250,000. That's not bad. Then you start looking at the details. Only $50,000 was guaranteed in year one. 50,000 of the 150,000 he was owed was guaranteed in year one. Um, he was going to only be guaranteed 55 in year two, only going to be guaranteed 60 in year three. And when I say guaranteed, I'm saying that word loosely because they also stipulated in his contract that he had to try out for the team every year. Every year. Yeah. I was just about to say that like he wasn't even guaranteed to be on the team the next right. season. They could just cut him. Like here's they could get they could pay him fifty thousand in year one and decide eh we don't want you anymore and he's done that's it two thirds of the contract three hundred thousand dollars that's pretty much the rest of the contract after the the guarantees was deferred until he was forty years old so he could go his entire career and not see the other three hundred thousand dollars of that freshman con- that rookie contract. The main thing that was said in the documentary, and I'm sure it really did happen, that when he went out that door, they probably did smoke their cigars because that's how it was back then. We got him. And laughed. We got him. (laughs) Drewski. (laughs) We got him. (laughs) That's the part. That hurt, man. That that hurt, like, a lot. Like, no agent – no agent, no person that knew how to read the contract would allow him to sign that. Under no circumstances. Like, yeah, that was the part. Like, I literally had to pause and replay. I said, no, wait, wait, what? I've never heard of that stipulation in a contract before in my life. I mean, you do have, like, the non-guarantees and stuff like that. But I mean, like, you don't rookie? get this much money up front and then... They're like, oh, if you want to see the rest of this, you may have to do this, or you may not see it at all. Or you wait till you're 40 to see it. <laughs> and, and then it was going to be dispersed across his age 40 to 65 years. Now, I'm going to say it now before we get ahead. He didn't even live to see 65. This is true. So he would have never gotten to see all that money. 
Never would have gotten that money. Deferred 40 till he was 40. That's a, that's like the the Iverson, uh, was it the Reebok deal? The Reebok contract, yeah. So, again, just absurd. And now he, there was one funny part where he was being interviewed about this. And he said, he started to say, and then he caught himself. He was like, he was like I was making that kind of money. I mean, uh, I don't think I should say that. Then he went ahead and just said, he was like, man, I was making more than that um, at uh, Long Beach. No, where was, no, where was he at? Uh, PSLA. LA, yeah, LA State. Cal State, LA, yeah. Um, that, that was hilarious. But it was true. <laughs> That's exactly. It was so, true. I made more money than that in college. I was like, I, well, he, look, you had to put gas in the, I mean, he uh, said it at that point. <laughs> so he was pissed about the contract, but he was like, you know what? If I just show up and I prove that I'm worth it, he said that they told him, actually, that they would cut the contract up and give him a real contract if he proved it. So he went to camp. For whatever reason, the 76ers invited a documentary crew to come document the camp. Reporters were in there, everything. Everybody, cameras. Pins was ready. And he showed up to camp. And he busted Doug Collins' ass. Yep. And uh it, it's not wasn't like a little bit like the deficit wasn't a few points. No. He cooked it for like 50 and a half. They said he went 21 for 25 on the second day. <laughs> he didn't yeah, miss. He was like, but he had already told them. I'm better than your first, your first round pick. I'm be- well, not your first round, but I'm better than first overall. I'm better than him. Yeah, and he proved it. And after that, the coach of the 76ers said, "You know what? Let's get these cameras up out of here because this, this didn't give him the money." He said, and then they what? did this not, is- they did not cut up that contract. Either just you not ever know that that happened. So then they had a scrimmage against, I think it was the Buffalo Braves, or they had some scrimmages. So in practice, he was killing, he was killing Doug Collins, like no doubt about it. So then they get the, they go to the scrimmage. It's kind of like a preseason type of thing, but it's just, or maybe like a summer league type of thing. Cause it was just the, the training camp people, the, the rookie camp people. So the first scrimmage, they said he did have a rough game. He was four for 21 in the first scrimmage. They played him again. He was 10 for 19 the second time, 22 points. And he looked like himself. Uh, Collins had 33. Yeah, Collins had 33. I did remember that. So he did play well on winning when he was against another team. And once they told him he wasn't getting that that contract changed based on how he performed. He never he just left and never he came said, back. Well, then I have no reason to be here. And he dipped. Uh the team suspended him for the year. And he was annoyed. He tried to sign with the ABA team. He actually did sign with the ABA team, the Utah uh, Stars. Utah Stars, yeah. <laughs> yep. And he was getting ready to play. They he went through camp and everything. Yep. And he was getting ready to lace them up and going at and going at hardwood. And they said, no, no, no. We just found out your property. And I didn't like this part either. Your they, property. Yeah. They literally said the it. Philadelphia 76. They literally said it. He was our property. That bothered me. I was like, y'all didn't think to 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 change that wording before this, but it, it just lets you know that was the mindset, that was the mentality. They didn't they didn't want to pay him, but they didn't want him to play for anybody else. 
this is again another layer where it starts to get bad because again he was signed to the aba team he was literally on the bench about to check in and they said if he plays we'll sue y'all until y'all are no longer in existence and keep in mind the aba was not on in great great position financially at that point then he was offered ten thousand. So this is two years past. No, no basketball for him because the 76ers aren't trying to pay him, but they aren't gonna let him play anywhere else. The third year he was offered to come back. They gave him ten thousand dollars to come back. Daryl Dawkins had just been drafted at this point to the 76ers. This was 1975 now. He showed up and didn't like something, and he left after a couple of days. Again. Reporters in Philly, we know, I mean, Philly's been Philly since the beginning of time. Reporters in Philly had his back. A lot of them wrote positively about him. They were going off about how he was killing Doug Collins in the, the rookie camp. Somebody said he was better than Bill Walton, which is a big deal at the time. Back, Bill Walton, back then, yeah, back then. Bill Walton was that guy before the injuries. Um, and Reporters started getting fired because they were speaking positively about him and confused about why the 76ers were not doing right by him. Uh, That's when it comes up to the idea of him potentially being blackballed. He basically said it. He said, when you're blackballed, you're blackballed. There's nothing to do about it. Basically, they believed that he was being blackballed because he was a black player in the 70s that did not know his place. He was supposed to accept that trash contract they gave him, despite knowing how good he is and what he deserved. How dare you think that you're better than this goofy ass contract that we're offering you? Pretty much what it came down to. Much like one of the other names I mentioned earlier, three more years passed. He never stopped playing. He was doing a lot of L.A. runs. Etc. and so forth. And Apparently, he was killing the nose too. Killing everybody. Um, there was one point, there was one point I was wondering because they moved into like a nice duplex. Uh, he started raising his family yeah. and they said that agents were still giving him money. And that's how he was living pretty much. On the potential. Earnings. On the idea that he would eventually end up in the league. Which I thought was interesting because uh, <laughs> He was literally living off of money agents and stuff were giving him. Like, they needed something. He would hit up one of them agents. You say now off the strength. And pretty much. <laughs> um, 1978, Sports Illustrated does a story on him. This happens a lot in these situations where there's like a big story and now all of a sudden everybody's interested in helping him or giving him a chance. So 1978, he, he, he does that. He gets a call. He tried out for the Knicks. With uh, Willis Reed was coaching at the time, but it was one of those situations that I feel like it's happened to a couple guys recently where the team that gives you a chance doesn't make sense. The Knicks were loaded with guards. And so they call him in. He tries out and he left because he knew he wasn't going to jump the the guys that were established with contract. They weren't going to cut a guard that they were already paying to make room for him. Didn't make sense for him. So then, and this was weird to me, the San Diego Clippers. Yes, the Clippers were in San Diego. They brought him in. And the coach that was at Philly when he got drafted, Coach Shue, was, was the now, same coach 
in San Diego. Was now the coach in San Diego. I'm going to ask you this because I have my feelings. Did you feel like this was a real opportunity or do you feel like Shu was trying to pretend to give him a chance? I don't feel it was pretend due to the fact that at the end of the day, like I said, like I told you off mic, I was mad at the GM. Okay. More than anything. Okay. But Coach Shu had to have seen that this guy had it. He yeah. had to see that Ray Lou had it. I mean, he wouldn't have said, hey, I know a guy who would be perfect because, okay, how do you word this? Okay, I got it. The San Diego Clippers, how people feel about the Clippers now, definitely wasn't the same because they were up and coming. And, like, so they needed everybody. Um, yeah. I think the next time they even got a break, and it's funny to say this, they loosely talked about this. Well, no, no, they didn't talk about this in uh, winning time. But Norm ended up with the Clippers, and he was probably one of their best guards at that time. So you put it on that meter. <laughs> yeah, they needed a right. They needed a right look. Well, they cut him after ten days. <laughs> so again, another chance got close. Ended up not not happening. <clears throat> So, again, this was 78. Remember, he was drafted in 19 in 1973. So he's getting into his upper 20s now. Um, 1981 rolls around. He was still hooping in L.A., killing it in L.A. runs, killing it in, like, the summer leagues and stuff like that in L.A. Michael Cooper showed up to a game. Michael Cooper, all defense in the NBA, one one of the greats. Michael Cooper was going to come shut this 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 flashy street ball dude down. Now, remember this summer in NBA, there was a whole bunch of summer runs and and there was that one guy that was guarding LeBron and and, um, was that the which 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 run was that at? Which one? It was one. I think one of the guys uh, shut down or he like gave went bucket for bucket with LeBron in one of those runs during the summer. I can't remember where it was. I don't remember where it was because you're not talking about like a Drew League or anything like it that. Was, I think it was a Drew League. It was Drew League? I think it might have been the Drew League now. I'm thinking about it. I'm I can't remember. A quick Google. I was going to say, I can't remember exactly de- the exact details, but just, he was just a regular dude. and like It went viral and all that. I think he scored like 30-something, maybe 40. And uh, the, they went down to the wire. Uh, but anyway, it was one of those situations where they were having one of those those league summer league runs. Again, our boy Ray Lou was not <clears throat> in the league, but some NBA guys were coming through. Michael Cooper was one of them. Michael Cooper, again, one of the best defenders in the NBA. He was ready to come down and shut this dude down. Raymond gave him 67 <laughs> in, in that game. Um you have to check it out. They they caught, they go into great detail about how it all went down. He had 40 at the half in, in that game. Um, he averaged 50 points a game in that summer league. He was invited to the Spurs camp. He was 29, 30-ish at this time. Invited, invited to the Spurs camp. He did very well, apparently, but got cut. And he never got another chance. And this is like the Michael Cooper Showtime Lakers. Right. <laughs> Michael this Cooper. Like the early this 80s. Is... Yeah. <laughs> the early 80s. So 
yeah, he was at the peak of his powers and he got cooked by, by this dude. Again, just to reiterate how talented he was. Not a joke that he was should have been in the league. Uh, so after this Spurs tryout, I believe 81, again, they said he played well, but he didn't make the team. And again, it wasn't like it was back in the day where he could have gone a whole bunch of other places and played. He This was it. Um, the ABA was over, so he, he couldn't do that at this point, even though you know his contract would have been up with the 76ers. But that was over. Actually, I need to be more specific. He was signed in 73. The ABA ended in 76, which would have been when his contract expired. So he, I, be, I wonder if he would have ended up in the ABA had the ABA not ended in the, the year that his contract ended. I would imagine so, but of course we will never know. So after he didn't make the Spurs at this point, at the age of 30, I'm guessing the agent stopped coming around. And uh, family had to move back to Watts. Out of the grandpa's house. To the the family home. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could tell the daughter was a little bit like this was where things started to get sad for the family. Um, She was her and her brother. So they moved back to Watts. She said she noticed noticed the shift in him like he knew. As long as he was holding on to his dream, he he was still, you know, bright, bubbly, friendly, all that good stuff with people. Now the dream appears to be dead. And they even said that the sparkle in his eye was gone. Yeah. And personally, as myself, I can only imagine what that felt like for everybody around him. Um, like, think of the most energetic, outgoing person, you know, suddenly not having that anymore. Um. Friends and family, I'm sure it hurt. I mentioned the lawsuit. The lawsuit occurred in 1985. So four years after this is when that lawsuit happened. I don't want to judge, but personally, I think it would have been good for him at that point. Maybe things might have gone differently had he gotten involved with the lawsuit for him and his family later. But like you said, he was defensive of the coach, didn't do it. He it wanted was more to make about the jury than, like I so, said, his own pride and dignity. Um, in the eighties, the NBA money exploded. People started making millions of dollars. Like Michael Jordan, uh, Larry Bird, and Magic. Like that's Bird and Magic pretty much made the league start to to blow up. The league was on his last legs before they got there, and Bird and Magic brought everybody in. Jordan took it to the next level. NBA has been flourishing since. And he pretty much had to watch all of that. All these guys come in, make millions of dollars, shoe deals, et cetera, so forth, media. People that he beat. Right. People that he could probably still beat at that time. And again, I can only imagine going through that. Knowing I'm better than these dudes and watching their lives, you know, take off the money they're making and I'm stuck. Uh, his family left at some point. I think the kids left first. The kids went and lived with his his wife's parents. Family up north. Yes. Right. In northern Cali. And then eventually his wife couldn't do it anymore. She left. Again, I this is hurt. At this point, I'm I'm devastated. 
sort of downward spiral. Yeah. And you can, and it's a natural progression as well. Uh, he fell into drugs at some point. They mentioned in there again, that's, I'm not, that's not surprising. You self-medicate. Drugs, alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. You self-medicate uh, when, I mean, I, I, I got family members. I can, I can say this, that, that, you know, all the talent in the world, smartest people, you might know things didn't work out for them. They end up, you know, just being, they don't go into detail. So I won't say this was him, but you know, these some people, when you get to that point, you know, you just think about what could have been, what should have been all the time. Every cookout, man, I was supposed to be doing this, supposed to be doing that. Uh, Family doesn't know how to talk to you. And again, you're used to this bright, bubbly person. Now they're depressed. It's, it's, you don't know how to talk to them. It's hard to talk to them. Don't know what to say. Don't want to trigger them, anything like that. Um, I can only imagine it was rough. So then 2001 rolls along. Uh, he had a bad infection in his leg. They said that his leg was going to have to be amputated. Now, keep in mind, he's in his upper 40s at this point. But... As long as you can walk, if you're a baller, you're trying to ball. And when they that's what he was his his biggest concern. Exactly. (laughs) So when they told him his leg was going to have to be amputated, he was like, "I'm not going to be able to ball no more." And again, the game was the 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 idea of being a pro player had already been taken away from him. Now he can't even play in his mind. Like, what's the point at this point in his mind? Um, I was scared actually when they announced that uh, where this might be going. Uh, what were we, what were, what were your feelings uh, up to this point? Um, once I saw February two thousand one, I already knew because that much I did know about him that he was no longer with us. So I was like, this must be the part where he, they're going to announce that. I was scared no about the here. how. At this point, uh, yeah, that part I knew because, like, again, I said I heard the murmurs. It was like an article here and there in the LA Times and stuff like that. But like the whole story, how we got it in right. this documentary, no, gotcha. I never heard it. So yeah, I knew he was gone. I just didn't know exactly how. Yeah. So from what I could tell, I believe the surgery took place in February two thousand one. And he died a few weeks later. They said of an unrelated blood infection, but I'm not sure how it would be unrelated. Um, but yeah, he passed away February 2001. And the daughter, and I appreciated her being honest about this. Uh, she said that she was mad at her dad for a long time because of how things played out until she got older. And she understood, you know, having a dream and wanting, wanting to live it. Uh, so I personally, I, I love that your she was, worth. Exactly. I appreciated her transparency and admitting, you know, because as a kid, you don't know what your parents are going through. You don't know why they make the decisions they make. And as you get older, you start to understand better. Um, let's talk about what do you have any thoughts about the, the daughter and her perspective in this uh, situation? I think you just pretty much summed it up again. You're just on that. Even as your child even as their your child you're on the outside looking in of what your parents are doing yeah oh that's just what it is so she saw him training i believe he said he was running like the pier every day Uh he stayed in basketball shape because he never knew when that call was going to come that we found out 
never came. You're just looking like, okay, yeah, we're living decent. I've never seen you actually go outside the house and even do anything. It's like working at a grocery store. I've never seen right. this. So what are you doing? And the whole time he's chasing the dream. Yeah. Because it all started when, yeah, he was on top. But then when he got to a certain level, they started telling him, oh, no, that's over. Either you're going to do it our way or there's no way at all. And, yeah, that's a, so you're not understanding all this politic, politics going on as a kid. Right. We're just like, man, dad, go work at the post office. Like, do something, bro. Like, that's all you're thinking. <laughs> so, but she didn't realize he was, he had, there was, it was a means to the end. Right. You know? It wasn't, you know, there's stories of guys who, who think that they're supposed to be somewhere and never let go when they should. The problem here is that he should have been there. That's facts. The talent was there. You can't even say he had off-court issues, really. His issue was he wasn't willing was, to play for peanuts. The humor was... They were talking about like, and one at one point in the documentary, they talked about passing, and I was looking at the footage <laughs> of him. He was passing. Yeah, I, I saw it's just that. that they basically said you don't have to pass. <laughs> You'd rather you just make 40, 50 a game. If you don't miss, why would you? Who would you pass it to? You gonna pass it to somebody that shoots worse? Exactly. Did I mention he was thirty for forty in that game? Yeah, 73. Like his shooting percentages were through the roof. Again, this was with no spacing. Like he's he and they said he would pull up from 30 feet, like it was nothing, with no three-point line, etc. and so forth. And by the time he would have gotten if he had made it in the late 70s, they the three-point line did come in, I believe, around that time, around 80-ish. Uh, so if he had made it at the end, he would have had the three-point line, which would have been really interesting. But again, we never got to see that. Overall. Um, you want to talk? You want to tell the Lorenzo Romar story? Do you remember it? I don't know. You can go ahead and tell it. All right. So, my favorite thing in the documentary, my second, my, one of my favorite things at the very end is like a post credit almost. Uh, Lorenzo Romar is telling a story. He's like, it's him. I can't remember who he said was in the passenger seat, but he said that uh, Ray Lou was in the back seat. And at the time, he was like, about 35 or so. Yeah. And he's like started naming players and he's like, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah uh, Thomas, you think you could take him? Man, no problem. No problem. No problem. Easy. He's too short. I just shoot over him. Magic Johnson. No problem. No problem. You know, he's too slow. I'll go around him. Then he said Michael Jordan. And he said up to that point, he had been joking, laughing. Everything was funny, blah, blah, blah. He said, Michael Jordan, he said he got real serious all of a sudden. <laughs> he said, hey. <laughs> he said, put me on a regimen. Give me a couple weeks. I'm cooking. He said, let's do, let's get me, get me in shape. Let's, let's, let's work. And, and said, if you can set it up, I, I want to do it. I'll, and, I, and I'll get him. Like, I'll if you set it up. And so that, I like that story. One, because it's funny. It t- tells you he's funny. Two, it tells you about his confidence. And based on the stories you hear throughout the documentary, I believe them. You go on mute. 
Yeah, that didn't sound like he was lying. <laughs> no, I, he, he, and the fact that he had the humility still to want to actually play against Jordan versus saying straight up that he would just cook him. That he was very realistic yeah, he about. Said, no, I need some time. I need some tape. I need right. strategy. <laughs> he said, "I got the. I got a. Uh, what uh, he had to get the Batman prep time. He needed the prep time, and then he would get him." <laughs> um, and again, you said he was thirty-five at the time. <sighs> These type of stories hurt me. Same um, here. For a lot of reasons. One, you, you mentioned it already. The fact that he was probably done this way partially because he was a black male um the family impact that it has because as we mentioned after the last tryout the daughter mentioned things kind of went downhill for them they stopped they didn't get to live with their dad at that point um the mom ended up having to leave them at one point like none of that stuff is cool and Again, he sounds like he was a great dude. Everybody seemed to love him. The amount of NBA players, former NBA players that were willing to do the documentary, uh, legendary coaches were willing to do the documentary, let you know that he was appreciated. There was one guy who didn't want to talk. You, you want to drop the name? And Doug Collins is kind of foul for not wanting to talk about this. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. They kept showing that man's photo. I'm thinking, like, he had to have had a blurb somewhere like, in this. Give me and something. I'm like, the end of it literally said he declined. I was like, what? <laughs> I like the pettiness in that, though, right? And you think I want to talk about the man that cooked me, bro? <laughs> He's like, what you want me to come out of the camera? I said, yeah, he, he gave me the business. Like, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> um, but yeah, that like, was, that's like you get beat up by somebody and then they do a documentary, like, yeah, I want to talk about the man <laughs> that knocked me out in the middle of everything, in the middle like, of the, man, the ring. Man, it's been 50 years. Like, I don't care how hurt you were at the time, man. Let that go. Let that go. I want it, I want the story. I want it from your perspective. Cause they telling me you got cooked. The paper said you got cooked. What what was your version of events? Like look. Just like again, baseball. Uh, you never want to hear. Like uh, I was joking about this at the ballpark about the pitcher that gave Aaron Judge his sixty-second home run. You know, I say you're gonna go to Cooperstown. You're gonna see his jersey, and your jersey is gonna be folded right next to him. And then they're gonna be like, "Hey, son, this is Aaron Judge. He has sixty-two home runs this season." And that's the idiot that gave it to him. Like, that would just be, like, I kind of understood, bro. <laughs> it's like, Doug, you are the reason people know he was supposed to be in the league. How do you feel about that? Because uh, if he had went to that camp and played like trash, then maybe you could say he didn't belong. But he, all the papers, everybody said he cooked them. So, He's, I mean, I would have taken a written statement. At the end of the thing, saying that this that Raymond Lewis was like this, this, and this, and I wish that the story had changed because everything with Doug Collins in it, even Michael Jordan to the max, I had like this, like okay, not admiration, but I had this respect, re- respect for okay. Doug Collins. But after this, I was like, nah, bro. <laughs> I got, I got I gotta hear why he declined it. I got it. I need a reason. Bare minimum, I need a reason. Because otherwise, I, I can't see why he wouldn't give him five minutes. 
Just five. I, I just wanted all he had to talk about was that camp. He had to talk about nothing else. Um any other thoughts? Any other thing you want to say about this? No, nah, that was that was it. That was the only disappointing part was Doug Collins declining to actually be in this and just give his side of that story. Yeah. So overall, uh you mentioned when you were watching it, I'll go ahead and say it, that the the beginning part when they're talking about him in the high school, it is a little bit slow in that point because you you don't know anything. You're learning who it's he is. It's very, very redundant. I was like, okay, he was good in high school. He was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Okay. <laughs> it is. It does kind of go over the same kind of points over and over to try to establish how, how good he was. But uh, once they get to the college, at least, and you start hearing familiar names and stuff like that, it really picks up. And then <clears throat> they do go very deep into his story and, and the things that he went through as far as trying to get to the league. Um, some heroes, some villains as you go along. Uh, but the stories were great. They mentioned, oh, the other thing I have to mention, they said that uh, CSLA claim to have lost all the footage of his games except for every single game oh yeah every single game except the one i think uh tarkanian dug up footage of their game and that's the only reason they have footage um in the words of the immaculate uh rick ross somebody lied you know what happened right they didn't oh they weren't gonna keep that that was the years where buddy was paying players and they got they lost a gigantic lawsuit yeah, they got rid of all that footage. <laughs> um, burnt. <laughs> yeah, that that stuff is crispy somewhere. Uh, it's ashy now at this point, but it was it was crisp. It was in a pile somewhere, crispy. Um, I know we pretty much went through most of the documentary right now, uh, um, but I, I encourage anybody basketball fan fan of basketball history. Check out the documentary. It'll be on video on demand platforms on November 1st after a brief screening. Um, I'm going to go through the list of platforms just in case. That's iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Microsoft, In Demand, Plex, Roku, and Fandango. So wherever you rent movies, you should be able to see this documentary. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I would recommend it. If you get we only this. gave a handful of the names, we did not give all the names. Um, like the big names, we basically didn't say. So it's yeah, definitely there's... worth checking out. There's some foot. There's one picture in it. And again, I'm not going to tell you the name. I was going to say I'm not it. saying anymore. It's some Hall of Famers, and they said that he cooked them. I want y'all to see that. Y'all, y'all need to see because they were in the picture. So there's right. no lie that he got them. And uh, enough NBA players are co-signing that he was cooking people. That again, if it was just some, some obscure random dudes for the hood talk about how good he was, that'd be one thing. But nah, this was NBA player. Reggie Theus is in here. Like, it's it's some names. People you know are co-signing um, his abilities. That was the main thing of when you asked me to do this with you. Once I saw Michael Cooper, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> That's all it took. I was like, he must have been really cold if Showtime co-signed this yeah. man. I mean, he saw it firsthand. <laughs> it doesn't get any more uh, uh, firsthand testimony than, than what Coop saw that day. So, man, look, this was uh, 
this is a fun fun movie. I'm glad to be getting back into reviewing some of this stuff. Um, I've been fortunate to have a lot of really really good stuff come across my my screen, and this definitely falls into that category. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this. Almost got emotional at the end. Not even gonna lie. Um, felt like I was listening to a story about my family member at one point. Like, yeah, it did start to make you feel like you may have known this guy. Like, right. <laughs> you've seen this before. Like you had, you almost want a different ending by the time you get there. Like, dang, I wish, but you already know what the ending is. But at the same time, it's like, man, I really wish one or two breaks had gone his way along the way. So definitely a tragic story. Um, and he is a name. They, they talk about him being a forgotten name. I hope he's not forgotten. Um, when it's all said and done, people, you, when they did the montage, you see how many people were in this documentary that have passed since, you know, they say you die twice when you have physically leave here. And the last time somebody says your name. So I hope people keep saying his name. I liked it. That's the way it is. That's how I want to close this out. I want to say, I don't even want to tell you where I got that quote. <laughs> um, there's another, there's another way I've heard it, but I'll tell you off mic that I've heard. It, and I was like, because the person who said it, sister said it. I was like, yeah, I'll tell you that. Okay. We'll do it in a second. <laughs> but that's it for me, folks. Um, man, I, I, I thought I was going to be out here for 30 minutes, but we ended up talking about a bunch of the stories. It's okay. Uh, I will tighten it up one of these days. I like doing the deep dives, man. Deep dives going to be an hour. When I do the, the non-spoiler stuff, that's going to be under 30 minutes. So keep that in mind for the future. But until next time, peace.